0: On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. We are now joined in studio on the weekend of the Finnegal Ardesh by the Taunashta and leader of Finnegal, Leo Verakertidi. good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks very much for coming in. Uh, plenty to talk about, but I want to start with the story that's on the front page today of the Sunday Independent, suggesting that in the midst of a housing crisis that we all recognise and that we all agree needs to be addressed very acutely, um, the news that about half a billion euro the government had expected to spend on capital spending in housing by the end of September hasn't yet been spent. Why is that?
1: Well, it hasn't yet been spent and of course the year is not yet over. Um, Part of the reason is that we have the biggest budget for housing ever in the history of the state. Uh, 4 billion euros a year, uh, committed this year uh, to housing. So there's no lack of financial commitment from the government to Mm. resolving the housing crisis, there's no lack of political will, Um, there's no lack of compassion or care, Um, but there are real constraints, uh, real constraints that would be there no matter who's in government. Um, Availability of labour, the cost of materials uh, and availability of materials like steel and concrete and timber um, and lots of other constraints. Um, But what I will say to you is Uh, While there is an underspend at the moment that looks very large, I do think that by the end of the year, Um, If there's an underspend at all, that underspend will be much less. So, uh, Dara Bryan and the government Mm. are working really hard uh, to make sure that we spend that money in a way that uh, helps to uh, alleviate the housing crisis and that might involve, for example, uh, purchasing some more land, so we have more public land to build housing on. Uh, It might, for example, mean helping local authorities uh, to pay down some of their debts on their existing housing developments, giving them the financial firepower to build more. So whatever the underspend is now, um, it's a feature of the fact that we're committing so much money to housing. Mm. Mm. Um, but whatever it is, it's going to be a lot less, I think, by the end
0: of So, December. But this is, this is the figure that was expected for the end of September. So the government expected to spend about one and a half billion in capital spending and managed about one billion. Now, of course, granted, yes, there is yeah. still some year that you can catch that up in. But the budget was designed, and these figures are published every month, on the expectation that they they, they, they mm. do acknowledge the ebb and flow. They, they would have recognised that a lot of the money might not have been spent until the end of the year. So evidently, somebody somewhere thought that you'd have 1.5 billion spent by now. So... Well, it doesn't I think, speak very highly of the planning.
1: I think capital spending is always very lumpy. And, you know, I've had the privilege to run a, a number of departments and you'll often try to profile what your capital spending is going to look like. It's very different to current spending mm. because you have you've a certain number of staff. They get paid every two weeks, paid every month. Very yeah. easy to profile. Uh, capital is much harder to profile, actually, because uh, if a project gets delayed by a few weeks even, um, the bill can fall into the next quarter. So, you know, profiling... Uh, for capital is always difficult. It's Mm. quite lumpy. And sometimes what you do, and this just makes sense, for example, uh, is you can move spending from one quarter into the next Mm. or you can move spending from one department to the other. So say for example uh, the Department of Education is running ahead of itself in terms of capital spending they're doing a great job at building new schools uh, around the country and extensions. So mm. you know if they have a quarter for example where they're ahead um, that's fine. Uh, you move some money over yeah. to education when they fall behind you move the money back to housing.
0: But, but a, a whole third of the money like literally a third of all the capital spending that had planned in the first three quarters hadn't happened by the end of that third quarter. That doesn't seem like it's just lumpiness that seems like there's something systematic that the money's not actually being spent in the middle of a time when we urgently need to be?
1: Well I think there's a real difficulty at the moment um, with construction um, the cost of construction has risen and it's not just the cost of it it's the availability of materials and uh, some of that is linked to what's going on in Ukraine and uh, the war in Europe is that uh, commodities um, and supply chains have been affected. Uh, mm. And it's, you know, ask anyone who's in the business, um, uh, even if you want to get an awning for your back garden, you could be put on a waiting list to get steel. Mm. You know, that's the situation that well, we're I
0: mean, in. the waiting list and supply chain issues are one thing, but the fact that everything is now dearer would suggest that actually you should be getting through the capital budget more quickly.
1: It's dearer if you can get it. Uh, and one of the real problems that we do have with construction is uh, the availability of materials. Um, but having said all that, you know let's mm. you know let's 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 put this in context. We will meet our overall housing target this year. Uh, you know the target was to build uh, more than twenty four thousand new homes in Ireland this year. Um, we will exceed that. Mm. Uh, it could be well over that. It could be closer to 28,000. So, you know, that that is, I, I think, significant mm. in itself. Are still
0: confident that will happen? Because I think the commencement numbers have been down for the last four or five months in a row.
1: Yeah, we're confident that we will exceed that housing target, uh, the overall housing target for uh, 2022. Mm. Um, a little bit more worried about next year. Um, because of what we're seeing in terms of um, uh, a construction slowdown. And that's why we have to redouble our efforts um, and Mm. intervene uh, in any way we can to make sure that we exceed 30,000 next year. Because, you know, in my view, we need to be building... Well, in excess uh, mm. of that, uh, if we're going to turn the corner on housing.
0: Uh, well, it, it of course, is housing that a lot of younger people particularly might be concerned about, although it does affect every age group. And there's uh, a red Sea poll today in the business post, which suggests that sixty eight percent of those aged under twenty five and thirty seven percent of those between twenty five and thirty five, are considering emigrating because they reckon that they'd have a better standard of living mm. or more affordable housing elsewhere. Now, at a time when we have, you know, as you said yourself last night, uh, rising incomes and lower income taxes, and we're at a time of full employment, the idea that some young people still don't believe that this is a place that they can actually make a life,
1: yeah that's, that's pretty that's, damning
0: that's, on, on uh, 11 years of Fine Gael government.
1: Well, that's a real worry. Uh, well, actually, 11 years ago when Fine Gael came into government, young people were leaving, uh, leaving in droves. Uh, and there was a surplus of housing then. We'd mass unemployment, um, and while there may be a surplus of housing, nobody could afford to buy a house because they were unemployed, and young people left in their droves, and we'd mm. we'd we'd net emigration. Um, now we've net inward migration mm. more people come to Ireland every year and more Irish citizens return to Ireland every year than leave so that's the difference if you want to know well, what though, the difference well,
0: those is are, those are the last official figures because we still don't know exactly yeah. what the figures are as of uh, up until the last 12 months but nonetheless okay, well, let's. Well, 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 I,
1: I think we should base our opinions on official okay, figures well, not, well, on, well, not, well, not on well, stories based,
0: Well based on opinion polls which suggest that a mm. lot of people even if they don't do it are still yeah, considering yeah, leaving Yeah,
1: no, no, no let me answer that and, and that is a concern that I have um, and it does worry me and I specifically addressed in my speech actually last night, um, talking to young people who mm. um, ask, is there light at the end of the tunnel, will they ever be able to own a home? Um, and sh- should they go abroad? Um, it, in reality, as, as you know, um, when people actually look into the reality of going abroad, if you're going to another successful busy city or country, um, you'll see a lot of the same problems you know you're not going to find that rents are lower in New York or that it's easier to buy a house in Sydney might be the case if you go to a very rural area or um, you know a third or fourth tier city but that that, that can be true in, true in Ireland too so you know sometimes the grass looks greener um, it's not the case that more uh, Irish people are leaving Ireland than are mm-hmm. coming home actually more Irish citizens are coming home so you know, the grass can look greener and considering immigration is not the same as actually doing yeah, well it when many do come back. Is that
0: then almost not more worrying that if the grass isn't greener anywhere else and it wouldn't necessarily be any easier or any more affordable to live in another part of the world that they still don't feel like Ireland is a place that they can get by? That's that's And
1: that's a big worry uh, and that's something I spoke in my sp- uh, spoke specifically about in, in my speech last night uh, and I said there is light at the end of the tunnel um, because in the last year um, over 16,000 people mm. um That includes couples, so it's way more than sixteen thousand people. When you include uh, the fact that many are couples, um, bought their first home. Uh, That's the highest in fifteen years. Now, that's not that's not a small turnaround. Uh, So, you know, we are now seeing. Uh, a very significant increase Mm -hmm. in first time buyers being able to buy uh, their their first home if you look at the numbers again about 50,000 houses change hands every year a third were bought by first time buyers last year so um, I actually think that there is light at the end of the tunnel and we are turning the corner at least in terms of first time buyers being able to buy their own home Are you convinced? and and look at what we're doing in terms of help to buy for example the amount of people who've benefited from that is huge
0: Are you convinced though that increasing the supply of housing will actually make housing more affordable because it's one thing to deliver much more homes that are then on the market but it's not a huge help if they're still as expensive as they currently are and that's out of reach for a lot of people i don't
1: think increasing the supply of housing on its own uh, makes housing more affordable Um, but i think it would be very hard to make housing more affordable if you didn't have increased supply so it's one of the factors that's required Uh, and what are you doing
0: to make housing cheaper then
1: well another factor as you know which is not under our control is is interest rates but generally as interest rates rise house prices tend to moderate Um, affordability in many ways um, somebody's less about the price of the house and more about the cost of the mortgage, you mm. know, because that's what you actually have to pay every yeah. month, it's not the, the capital price. Getting higher. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the kind of things that we can do to help, obviously help to buy, um, that's been a huge success. Don't know why the opposition parties want to get rid of it, um, you know, I'd say to any first-time buyer. Um, this government's going to be around for another two years and the help to buy is going to be around for another two years. Try to buy, um, you know, because at least you can be sure under us that help to buy will exist. Then there's the other schemes that we brought in, for example, uh, you know, the shared the shared ownership schemes, the mm. shared equity schemes, um, which have been very successful in, in, in the past. There's huge interest in 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 First Home um, and that helps people, you know, to bridge the gap. So say, for example, you can get a mortgage for, let's say, 260 but you want to buy for 320 and we'll bridge the gap uh, and you can pay that back at a later date. Those are very good schemes. They're also the grants that we've put in place for dereliction. Um, between 30 and 50,000 euros uh, if you take on uh, an old property yeah. um, perhaps in a rural area town village around the country breed life back into it uh, so they're the kind of things that we're doing okay. to try and make trying try try to make home ownership a reality for more mm. people and uh, you know I'm somebody who believes in ho- home ownership I don't think it's a preoccupation yeah. I think it's a social good it's not just about having a, um, a home that you own um, mm. it's also about um, um, not having to pay rent when you retire, for example. Yeah. Um. I know some people believe in the mm. Vienna model, the rent-for-life model. I, I don't. It's also about having an asset that you can pass on to your yeah, kids or, or borrow against if
0: you w- need to. Wait, we could ask more about the social consequences of having to pay rent into retirement in another time, but there's, there's a few other things in the speech that I want to get to as well. But just b- before I do that, um, this time last week we had Patrick Costello here, the, the Green Party TD, about his Supreme Court victory over CETA. Um, You were highly critical of the case that he brought at the time. I think you described that a Fine Gael PP is worse than voting against his own government. You remarked that you expected him to have to pay the bills for his own case if he were defeated. Um, it all He seemed to, well, obviously he's pretty delighted now that he had the victory and I think the costs have been awarded against him in the last couple of days as well. Have you been in touch with him since about the the outcome of his case? I have, yeah. I was in touch with him, I
1: think it was on Monday, just to just to congratulate him on the outcome of the case, which um, which was not the one we expected mm. uh, as a government. Um, and acknowledge the fact that he had uh, pursued some... Uh, important points of law and on one point of law uh, the courts found in his favour so yeah just uh, accepted the fact that um, um, well I certainly and still don't like the idea of government TDs taking cases against the government Mm. that there was an important law here important point of law here to be considered and, and was right that it was okay. considered.
0: Uh, speaking of other matters to do with the courts um, in your speech last night you discussed the idea of higher sentences for gangland crime you talked about someone who commits conspiracy to murder suddenly they're currently they're uh, liable for 10 years imprisonment and you talked about increasing that to life. Um, do you think that works? Do you think someone who isn't already put off by the prospect of 10 years in jail will actually be intimidated by life? Or does that just seems like it's, it's signalling uh, a zero tolerance policy but that it won't materially change anything? I think it means they'll be
1: banged up for longer.
0: Do you think that they're scared of being banged up at all? Um, it's suspect part of the reason why they, they thrive right now that, is that they don't fear it. That
1: I don't know. Like, I do think sentencing has a certain deterrent effect but I don't think it's a huge deterrent effect. The, the main reason as to why we would double sentences is so that they're banged up for longer. And if they're away if they're behind bars, they can't continue to commit indirect crimes. So, so, so it's well, not so
0: much to intimidate them in the first place so much as to keep them off the streets for longer than if they were liable, if they were minded to continue criminal life. Yeah, that, 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 that's correct.
1: So for example, um, we want to increase the maximum sentence for assault causing harm from five years to ten years. If somebody is banged up for an extra five years, who are they going to assault? Maybe they can assault people in prison, but they can't assault you or me or people in our communities. And another sentence we want to double is uh, for people who direct Mm. Uh, murders, uh, because a lot of these gangland criminals don't get their own hands dirty anymore. Um, they got other people down the food chain to do the crime for them. Mm. Uh, and we think that uh, directing the crime um, sh- is as serious, quite frankly, okay. as um, y- you know the okay. actual agent who carries yeah. it out for them.
0: Um, you uh, devoted a lot of your time in your speech last night to discussing the idea of zero tolerance and increasing a lot of those sentences. Is that a hint that you'd like to hang on to the justice brief in four weeks' time?
1: Well, I should say we we didn't use the term zero tolerance not that I've any difficulty okay, with yeah. with with that term but it's, it's not a term that we're using um uh, if we were to use a, a term at all I think it would be um taking a a a, a chapter out of Tony Blair's book in, in in the sense of being tough on crime and tough on the causes of crime and that's that's where we want okay. to be
0: um where mm. we want to be as a party. But then that that being your stance then would you like to hang on to the brief in 4 weeks time? No discussions happened? Uh, no, I'm not, on as you yet. If, I'm not asking if there's been discussions, but it just you're the party of law and order and you spent a lot of a televised speech talking about your approach to crime. It, it's a good illustration that you'd like to keep the brief pending yep. those negotiations. I'm,
1: I'm going to dodge that question, Gavin, for obvious reasons. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to discuss that here, having having not discussed it yet with um, with the anyway. other.
0: How would it be inappropriate for you to tell me what your personal desire is or what the party's preference for the briefs would be?
1: Um, because I, I think uh, in a coalition government... Um, these things are best discussed among ourselves before we discuss mm. them across the airwaves. And from time to time, mm. as somebody who likes to answer a straight question with a straight answer, I've answered that question, and uh, it's irked, irked my colleagues, and I'm not going to make that mistake
0: again. Much like the idea that you broached a week or two ago about having a pre-election voting pact with your current coalition partners, which they didn't see too well. I think
1: I think th- I think that's different. And um, by the way, um, that was accurately reported. Um, by Philip Ryan as, as opening the door to it. I didn't actually go as far as calling for it, but okay. that's a detail.
0: Um, a lot of people in your speech last night, they probably thought they'd never see a day when a Fine Gael leader was uh, giving a speech at an and praising a, a Fianna Fáil Taoiseach. I think the last time you gave a speech, I know there's a thing between national conferences and Nordesh now, but I think at your last Nordesh speech, 2018, I think you had five pops at uh, Fianna Fáil at the time. What's changed in the meantime? Or what have you learned from having to work alongside them for two years?
1: Well, I suppose fundamentally what's changed is that we're in government together. Um, it uh, came about in very strange circumstances um, in the middle of a pandemic hmm. when we had to form a government and uh, other parties, despite the fact they thought they won the election even though they didn't, uh, were unable to form a government and um, we uh, had to come together and do the right thing by the country and form a coalition with, um, with Fianna Fáil and the Greens and we did. Uh, Is that I to say, say you wouldn't have done well. it in other circumstances? That it still wouldn't have been your preference or you would prefer not to have to done it? I th- Well, the only option at the time was to have another election. Um, you know, mm. uh, Sinn Féin um, had their kind of Trumpian we-won-the-election festival around the country and didn't make any serious effort to form a government. Uh, Fianna Fáil made it clear they wouldn't form a government at Sinn Féin. Uh, so we had the choice of either plunging the country into another election during the pandemic or doing the right thing by the country and forming a government. Uh, and we did, uh, and I think it's worked well. And, you know, one thing I know, you, you know, and people will criticise the fact that you're 12 years in government. But I do know how to make a government work. Uh, we had a government labour that lasted. Uh, we would a government with independence that people thought would fall apart in months. It lasted four years. Uh, we have a very good government now with Fianna Fáil and the Greens and it's going to last. And one thing Fine Gael knows how to do is work with other people, um, form a government, make compromises mm. uh, and make things last. Well, so like, look at the contrast north of the border around the world if you want to see how to not run a country. Well,
0: uh, on the note of, of uh, working with others, um, you obviously have served under a, a different Taoiseach before but this is the first time that as Thonish did that you've maybe had a chance to see somebody else performing the job up close where you've had enough in government buildings, you've been able to see it at a level that you might not have seen before. Have you learned a lot from the approach that other people have taken to the job of Taoiseach or is there an approach that you might now take when you're back in the job in four weeks that might not have occurred to you before now?
1: I, I think you always learn from experience and from any job that you have. Um, and I've had the privilege now to serve under two different Taoiseach, um both Enda Kenny mm. from whom I learned a lot. Uh, and now meil martin, from whom i 've learned a lot as well, and two very different people with very different styles and obviously I have my own style too yeah. so i, I think I, I think with with experience you learn mm. things what have you learned um,
0: from me martin um
1: I, I think i think he 's very very interesting style i, I think he's i think he 's a very compassionate person um i think he's very kind um he's ex- extraordinary patience i think he 's probably more patient th- than I am or can be um, he does have a different style in the sense that he 's very much uh, likes to have um you know, the meeting with everyone in the room, Mm. Uh, whereas my style would have been perhaps, uh, you know, a smaller group, um, maybe more of a sofa style government than the 40 people in the room style of government. But I I can see why sometimes when he does that, it actually makes a lot of sense, you know, particularly when it comes to um, a coalition government with three parties. Um, And he's definitely reinvigorated the whole cabinet subcommittee process. And I know this is Probably ter- yeah, yeah, yeah. terribly boring yeah. stuff for your, your listeners at home. but Because
0: um, well, people uh, say there's, there's different styles of Taoiseach, there's those who yeah. are chairman and those who are CEO. It, it sort of sounds like you're describing yourself as slightly more of a CEO and he's more of a chairman. Um,
1: yes, except that it does depend on the circumstances. So the government that I led was a Fine government with a number of independents mm. in a minority in the Dáil. This is a three-party coalition. So yeah. the style and the approach that I have to leading the government... Yeah from middle of December onwards will have to be different so it'll have to recognise yeah, the so fact that this is a three-party by, by necessity
0: over. you're going to have to approach things differently next time than you did the last
1: Yes um, by necessity but but also I, I, I think by desire and and design you, you know I'm I can't remember what age I was when I became Taoiseach I was 37 or 38 I'm now what am I now 43 or something um, you do you do get older you know you, you do learn new things um, I, I had a three-year period as Taoiseach um, rather eventful one uh, achieved a lot but also made mistakes and uh, you know I think anyone learns from their experiences
0: I hadn't planned to ask you this but what mistakes?
1: Um, I'll go into that another day
0: Okay um, A couple of other things before I let you go um, there's another piece in today's Sun Independent about uh, and th- this follows on from a, a comedy made um, earlier in the week and Mary Lou McDonald was here a couple of weeks ago and I asked her about a donation that was made to her by Jonathan Dowd at the time and you've been very vocal since then by saying that your party would never stand over or never accept or never receive donations from anyone with that kind of uh, checkered past Simon Coveney received a €2,000 Euro donation from somebody who is currently standing trial for stealing €500,000 Euro from Bank of Ireland. Should he return that donation or donate it to charity?
1: Well, that that person has not been convicted yet. Um, but, you know, the principle that we, we would apply um, to ourselves is the same as we would apply to... Uh, others, um, mm. is that we shouldn't be accepting donations from um, people who commit serious crimes and receive jail time
0: uh, as a result. And so if there is a conviction forthcoming there, you'd suggest giving the money back or putting it to good causes? Well, I, I
1: don't want to say anything that prejudices the trial, by the way. and But in any instance,
0: were that to happen?
1: If it's a serious crime that results in jail time, uh, I think that uh, donations in those circumstances should be returned. Um, in the case of John Dowdle, um, very mm. serious crime, um, very... A serious sentence. Um, Possibly that money was the proceeds of crime. Uh, I think Mary Lou Macdonald, who received that as a personal donation, uh, should return it and not to him, obviously, Mm. but should be perhaps given to an addiction treatment facility or perhaps uh, a victims of crime group. And okay. I think it's wrong she hasn't done that. And, and of course, okay. um, we would apply the same principles uh, to our own people as we would to uh, would right. expect okay. of others.
0: Uh, just as, as a principle point, obviously, but not discussing any individual circumstances. Um, finally for now, and th- this is uh, sort of relates to you, but it does raise a broader point about the how we run things in Ireland as well. Um, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that... Um, SIPO was no longer pursuing any investigation to you for the actions of, of 2019 and the sharing of the, the details with the NAGP? Well, well, I, I
1: think they decided not to have a preliminary inquiry. Well, so, well, yeah. well,
0: this is the point I was going to get to because the, the way in which it was uh, announced in a statement in your name from the Fine Press Office, it was said that you had been cleared by SIPO, when in fact, you haven't really been cleared. They just decided that they don't have the power to even investigate the actions of a Taoiseach. And what does that say about the way in which we have scrutiny of public affairs in Ireland, where we have a watchdog which Maybe we're not even having the power to bark. May not even have the power to watch.
1: No, I don't think that's that's a correct um, assessment of the situation. You know, Sip has a particular role, and it relates to standards and public office and ethics. It doesn't mm. relate to uh, political judgments and political decisions made by ministers. We're accountable to the all for that. Um, Sipos responsible for standards and ethics and code of codes of conduct. Mm. And I think there's been some selective reporting of what's in their letter, and it's there in black and white. Uh, they said that they didn't have a remit to investigate. Um, the political decisions of ministers and Taoiseach and that is true. Mi- ministers um, and Taoiseach or just Taoiseach? Well, the same principle would apply. It's office holders. Um, but you know, you, you can well, clarify well, that, that with them if okay. you want. It, cause, it's, it's, cause, not it, it's, it's, it's not. It's not. There's a separate uh, okay. category of Taoiseach versus okay. office holder. I, I, well, ju- well, I think that, that's well, a misreading. That, that, well,
0: that's an important one there yeah. because I was going to suggest that uh, hypothetically, had it done the same thing, that you could have a situation where Sipple would be able to investigate Atanista for breaches of of public ethics. That's
1: something you can check with them. Yeah. But I think that's a misreading. I think. I think what 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 view they've taken is that, is that their role is standards and ethics. It's mm. not to okay. investigate the decisions of officeholders. But I want to say this, and, and you, know, you know, people have been, been selectively quoting from that two or three page letter. What did they also say about the complaints? They said they were misconceived. Uh, they said there was insufficient evidence to support the complaints. I don't hear that said. And that was there in black and white. Misconceived complaints, insufficient evidence to support those complaints. And the truth is um, they could have made a decision. Uh, much quicker in, in mm. my view to uh, reject these complaints and they didn't.
0: Is that one of the mistakes that you referred to a few minutes ago from your first 10 years t-shirt that you'd like not to repeat? Well, absolutely. <laughs> okay. On that note, we will let you go. Uh, thank you very much for your time this lunchtime. Uh, the forthcoming t-shirt, uh, current Thornish, the leader of TD for Dublin, uh, Dublin West, Leo Vraga. thanks for joining us this lunchtime.
1: On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great
0: minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.